Last week, we set the scene with this verse, the start of chapter 4 and verse 1. Brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you were doing. And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more. Living lives that please God. Now, in one sense, today is part two. To become a follower of Jesus doesn't just involve adding a few more concerns to your life. You know, one day I was going along and then I became a Christian and I guess I should now start doing a few of those things that Christians do. I've now got to go to church. It's just one more commitment, right? I've got to uh, occasionally when they have those potluck dinners, I've got to cook something. I mean, that's just kind of one of those. I've got to give a bit of money when I remember to. Becoming a follower of Jesus requires something completely different. It requires a Copernican revolution. Do you remember Copernicus? Back in the day, they believed that the world was the very center of everything. And everything rotated around the world. The sun clearly rotated around the world, right? It comes up this side, it goes down that side. It's just going round and round us, right? That's what they thought. And Copernicus came along and said, well, actually... That's not quite the way it is. We revolve around the sun, not the sun around us. And the world is spinning. And that's why it looks like the sun comes up and goes down. But really, we are going around the sun. To become a follower of Jesus requires a Copernican revolution that no longer the world revolves around us, but we now revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the centre. Now, we're good at that in some areas. When it comes to guidance and decision-making, when it becomes time to, should I do this or that, we're pretty good, I think, generally, at stopping and saying to God, please help me know, what should I do next? But I wonder whether we're any good at doing that with pleasure. When you stop and you think, well, what I'd really like to do now is, what will bring me great pleasure is to... How often do you stop at that point and think, no, what will give God pleasure? What should I do? Even if it's the opposite of what will bring me pleasure, that will bring Him happiness. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, we started looking at this last week. This revolution to live lives that please God. And last week we saw that it pleases God when we are sanctified in our sexual activity, when we flee from sexual immorality. We saw that it pleases God when we abound in brotherly love, when we care for each other really well. We saw that it pleases God when we live quiet, hard-working lives. Now this week, really, I've just got one big point and then 14 little ones. But I thought a 15-point sermon is going to take us a while, so I've kind of clumped all of the 14 under four categories under one point. So we'll see how we go. You've got a handout, I hope, and uh, now you're all pulling it out because you're curious. The first big point, and really where we're going to spend most of our time, is that it pleases God when we live in the light of the end. When we live our lives full of that sure knowledge of the very real hope that we have. Come to chapter 4 and verse 13 in 1 Thessalonians. Brothers, Paul says, 
we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, Paul starts with what is really a very first century question. Picture the scene for a moment. We're in the year 50, 60 AD. Jesus has just gone back to heaven maybe 20 years ago. So it's very fresh. And as the early Christian, we were expecting Jesus to come back really quite quickly. I mean, maybe within days or or weeks. I mean, at the most, it's going to be months, right? Before, I mean, it took him three years to do his earthly ministry. Surely it can't take him any longer than that to get heaven ready, right? Within three years, he's got to be back. And he's still not back. And now 20 years have passed. And Christians are starting to die. What's going to happen to them? Are they going to miss out? Those who have died before Jesus. Are they going to miss out on all the wonderful things that Jesus promised to us because they're dead? You can imagine it. Now, it's a very first century concern because by now they're all dead. So, you know, we, we kind of, we've had to deal with it. But Paul says, it's okay, don't worry, they will not miss out. Look down at verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left at the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first and after that we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them and we'll all be with the Lord it's okay they're not going to miss out and it's okay if you are worried if you've got a a, a Christian brother or sister a loved one who has died they are not going to miss out either for when the Lord Jesus Christ returns they those who have died they get to go first they beat us to it Jesus is going to raise them up first and then we kind of come along and meet up with them all there. Go, hey, how you doing? Right. However, if the dead in Christ are not going to miss out, should we grieve for them? Is it right to grieve the dead? I mean, after all, they're not missing out on anything. They've died, sure, but it's, it's going to sleep and then boom, they're back and Jesus is here. And Yes. Yes, it is right to grieve death. Make no mistake, death sucks. It's wrong. It is unnatural. It is not right. Despite the fact of its universality, despite the fact that it comes for all of us sooner or later, unless Jesus returns, it is not part of the good world. It is part of the curse that is upon our world. Death robs us every time one of our loved ones dies death steals from us that person at least for a while it steals from us the joy that we have in them and then in us it steals from us the love that we get to pour out on them it steals from us the relationship that we had the hopes the dreams the aspirations death well it's right to grieve it do you remember the story of jesus and lazarus The three siblings, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And they were good friends with Jesus. One day Jesus was off in a different town with his disciples 
and the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to him to say, you've got to come quick. Lazarus is really sick. Like, he's about to die. Get on your horse and get over here. Well, this is Jesus we're talking about. This is Jesus, bing, you're better, right? I mean, they're like, come on, Lazarus is sick. Get going with the healing. And Jesus says to his disciples, nah, we're just going to stay here for a while. I want you to see God's glory. So they stay two days where they were and then finally Jesus says, all right, let's go now and they head down there and they get there and Mary, Martha, what do you think they said? He's dead. Jesus, where were you? A word, you could have healed him. A touch, you could have healed him. And instead you stayed over there and now he's dead. And Jesus goes, all right, well, take me to him. They take him to the tomb and he stands out the front of the tomb and what did Jesus do? Shortest memory verse in the Bible, if you can't remember this one, you've got troubles. Jesus wept. He cries, he grieves in the face of death. And do you know what he did next? He said, Lazarus, come out. And he raised him from the dead. Despite the fact that Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, still he grieved in the face of death. That's true for any one of us. Every person who is in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to get raised up to new life. And yet it is right to grieve in the face of their death. But... But we do not grieve like the rest with no hope. A non-Christian funeral is a very strange thing. I'll be honest with you, we buried my grandmother just a month or so ago. It's a very, very strange thing because you either end up being completely irrational or a fool. You know what the irrationality is like? Oh, they're, they're in a better place now. You heard that one? They're looking down on us from above. What are you talking about? This is a person who their whole life spat in the face of God and you think that now they're up there looking down on us? What rational reason do you have for thinking that? Or the foolish one that just completely ignores death. The funeral where you just talk about, they were such a great person, weren't they? And let's just share memories of what they were like alive and let's just ignore the inconvenient fact that death comes for us all. They grieve truly with no hope. But a Christian funeral is a very different thing. A Christian funeral begins not with a person who's died, but with the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and was raised to new eternal life that he now offers. And so when we come to talk about the dead person, we speak of them as somebody who is caught up in that resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We miss them and we cry for them to have been gone. But we grieve with true hope, with real hope, with hope, in fact, that is based on the realities of history. See, the basis of our hope is not just, well, that we want it to be true. Usually when you, we use the word, I hope, we mean, I want, right? I hope that such and such will happen. Really, we just mean, I want that. I, I really hope that Argentina wins the Soccer World Cup this year. Now, what do I mean by that? I just mean, I want Argentina to win. I, mean, I, I really, really hope that Australia wins. I mean, then I get to rub 34 years worth of losing into the face of the Argentinians. But the problem is that's unlikely to happen. So I'm going to stick with this one, right? I, 
I hope, I just mean I want. It, it's, I'd like it to happen, but I have no real base. Well, maybe with Argentina, who knows the way they're going. Our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is not like that. For it is a hope that is based in history, in the facts of what has occurred in our world. Look at verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Do you get it? Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose into new life. And because of that, we have this sure hope that God will raise with him the dead in Christ. Truly, the Christian hope is the only rational hope there is. It's the only hope beyond death, based in what has already occurred. And at the same time, what we believe about Jesus teaches us about our destination. What is it that we're hoping for? I mean, sure, I'm going to get resurrected, but am I just going to get resurrected to keep paying the same mortgage for the rest of eternity? No. Verse 17 again, right? After the dead have been raised, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's our hope. That finally face to face with the Lord Jesus our eternity spent with Him. Heaven isn't a half pipe. Hell is not a great big party gathered around all your mates. Heaven is to be in the presence of God and enjoy Him. Hell is utterly destructive of relationships. And no wonder Paul then gets to verse 18 and he can't help but say, therefore, encourage each other with this. How could you not? It is okay to grieve. In fact, it's right to do so. It is right to grieve loss, whether it's the death of those we love or whether it's the prospect of our own mortality. It is right to grieve that. But in that grief, remember Jesus. Encourage one another with those words. Jesus died and Jesus was raised and we will be too to live with him forever. What a great conversation over morning tea to remind someone doing it tough of that. Now, how do we live in the light of this hope? Well, we have to expect the unexpected. Chapter 5, verse 1, brothers, about times, dates, you don't need me to write to you. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and still they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, that this day should surprise you like a thief. Right? Thievery 101, don't go when they're expecting you. I don't really want to teach you how to be a good thief, but don't go on Wednesday and drop off a little note saying, I will be round Sunday at 3 o'clock. Right? That's bad thievery. You're not going to get anything other than a long stint in jail. Good thievery depends upon you going when you are least expected. A friend of mine, Shola, was, uh, was sleeping one night with his wife uh, at their apartment in Kensington. Second story it was. And that was a hot summer's night, so they left the balcony door open. And it wasn't for about an hour or so the next morning as they were getting ready to go out. 
that they realised that her handbag, which had been in their bedroom, was missing. Along with a few other, as they looked around the house, small but very valuable items. The door was locked from the inside, the windows were all closed from the inside. In the night, as they slept, somebody climbed up the outside of the building, in through the balcony, burgled their bedroom where they slept and left. That's good thievery. (laughs) Don't do it, but unexpected the thief comes. Jesus will come back, make no mistake about it. And when he comes, it will be unexpected. So expect it. So live prepared for him to come back. You know it's coming, so live in the light, not in the darkness. Right again, verse 4, you brothers are not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So don't be like others who are asleep. Let us be alert and self-controlled for those who sleep, sleep at night, those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, the hope of salvation as a helmet. Live in the light. Don't get caught as if you're still in the darkness, lost, stumbling around in the old way of living, drunk, living to please yourself. Rather, live in the light, live to please God, alert, self-controlled, full of faith and love and hope. And again, really, Paul can't help himself, but he has to tell us to encourage one another. Verse 9, God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other. Again, how are these not the best words you can speak to your Christian brother or sister? Don't get caught like you're still in the darkness. Jesus is coming back. Don't get caught. Live lives that are prepared, alert, self-controlled, disciplined. Live your life to please God because Jesus is coming. What encouraging words they are. Words that build. And that's our first point. How are we going to please God? We've got to live in the light of the end. The second one's much quicker. Really, as Paul comes to the end of this letter, he bunches together a whole, well, I I counted 14 different instructions, but I summarize them under this title of relating rightly. Relate right. How are you going to please God? Well, relate rightly, firstly, to God's leaders. Verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Now, in one sense, it's a very awkward set of verses because I'm telling you to respect me. I'm telling you to respect Joe. I'm telling you to respect your parish council and your wardens, your Bible study group leaders, your ministry coordinators. And us Aussies, we don't like that, right? I mean, what do we do with our leaders? Cut them down, right? Bunch of wallies is what we call them. Well, don't be like that. Respect. Respect those who admonish you. Gee, that's hard. The people who tell you off. 
who pull you short and say, why are you doing that? What's that darkness there doing in your life? It's hard, but live in peace. Now I want to say more about that. I want to let you work out what that looks like. Relate rightly to God's leaders. Relate rightly to each other, Paul says. Verse 14. We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. That's pretty straightforward. Right, warn the idle. Tell them to stop slacking around. Encourage the timid. It's okay. I'm with you. Let's do this side by side. Help the weak. Pick them up. Give them the shoulder that they need if it needs to carry them. Be patient with everyone and make it all out of kindness, not payback. Gee, payback's nice, isn't it? I had some friends who were both practical jokers and they kind of got into this war of attrition. One of them played some, I don't even know how it started, right? I mean, it's become myth which one of them started it. But one of them played a joke on the other one. For the next six months, this friend just spent plotting and planning and oh, this massive practical joke. And so then this other friend spent the next six months planning the next... And it got to the point where uh, one of them collected up all the yellow pages in the suburb. It was yellow pages drop-off, you know, out on the door. And who, who, I mean, who wants it? So everyone just leaves it there. So he ended up with a ute full of them. And he came and uh, managed to get into her room in the shared house she lived in and filled it from floor to ceiling with yellow pages such that you could, uh, couldn't even open the door. He had like the last few had to kind of get thrown in and then right. So she went and got bean bags and took all the foam pellets out of it and managed to crack a window of his door open and fill the car with these tiny little foam pellets fairly certain even though 16 years later he's still getting them out and it just comes a point where you go well do you know what kindness requires it requires that when the first wrong happens we wear it yeah you've been wronged yeah it hurts yeah you're gonna have to pay for it when really they should but to not pay back to be kind that's what it takes Relate rightly to God's leaders, to each other. Thirdly, relate rightly to the circumstances that you are in. Verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And notice, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Once again, we're back to God's will. Last week, God's will was that you be sanctified, that you be a holy person, particularly in the area of sexual immorality. This week, God's will, what does He want for you? Be joyful, pray, give thanks. Now, it's hard sometimes to be joyful. And remember, it's okay to grieve. Be joyful doesn't mean just paint a smile on and, yeah, life's always good. Sometimes life's hard. But even in the midst of the deepest, darkest pit you might find yourself in, you've got to remember the hope that we have. That whatever comes this life, the resurrection is ours. And that we can rejoice in. Pray, bring it before the Lord. Give thanks to our God. 
and so relate rightly, fourthly, to God and His Word. Verse 19. Do not put out the spirits of fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Don't put out the spirits of fire. Don't squash the work that God does in you the passion that he brings forth for his ways, the work that the Spirit does to transform your character. You want to go and look it up, Galatians chapter 5? What is it that the Spirit's going to do in you? Don't fight against what God is doing in you. Don't despise prophecy. Don't turn your back on the Word of God. And that's prophecy is. Prophecy, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, we read in Revelation 19.10. Prophecy is about the gospel. Don't turn your back on the word of God, on that which teaches you about Jesus and his ways. Rather, test everything and hold on to the good and despise the evil. There are two kind of mistakes you could make at this point. You could become the super spiritual Christian who doesn't need the Bible, who doesn't need the word, who doesn't need to do this study business. And it's all about just whatever comes to me and hyper-emotional and super just. But the alternative is that you gullibly accept any and everything. Oh, someone gave me a book and it says it's Christian, so it must be true, right? That's how it works. No. Test everything. But make sure you hold on to the good and you avoid every kind of evil. And again, Paul can't help but finish with encouragement with his prayer in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. We've just spent two chapters. Paul telling us all the things we need to do. And he gets to the end and he says, but it's okay. Because he's going to do it. It's okay because it's His work to transform us into holiness. Hold tight to Him. Now I want to finish this book as we finish our series in 1 Thessalonians by going right back to the start and reading for you the verse that Paul began with as he spoke of this group of Christians in Thessalonica. And I want to read it for you that it might inspire you that we might be like this. Listen to how Paul thanked God. Chapter 1 and verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. May that be true of us also. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sorry that it's so hard for us to live for your pleasure. Our little part of the world is so caught up in hedonism, in the pursuit of that that we desire, that it is really hard for us to put that aside and seek to make you happy. So please do that work in us. 
turn our lives around, that Jesus would well and truly be at the center. Teach us to live in the light of the end, holding on to that hope of the resurrection, relating rightly to all the things around us. And Father, thank you that in the end it's your work to hold on to us. You will sanctify those who are yours. You will raise us up in the Lord Jesus Christ to be with him forever. Thank you. Amen.